Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. A gay couple has filed a class action charge of discrimination against New York City, alleging that the city's insurance policy is discriminatory because it does not cover in vitro fertilization, otherwise known as IVF, for gay male couples. And joining us right now is Joe Yerkeba, a reporter for NBC Out, the LGBTQ section at NBC News Digital. Welcome back. Hi, happy to be here. So tell us more about this couple and what exactly happened. Sure. So uh, their names are Corey Briskin and Nicholas Magipinto, and they filed this class action charge because they discovered in 2017 that Corey, uh, Corey's insurance didn't cover IVF for gay male couples. And Corey was a prosecutor for the city of New York, um, so it was uh, considered a public service job, and he was supposed to receive coverage of IVF as part of his benefits. But the couple found out in 2017 that the insurance policy defines infertility as the inability to conceive after 12 months of unprotected intercourse or after 12 cycles of IUI, which is intrauterine insemination, um, over 12 months. And though the policy didn't explicitly define intercourse, the couple says that the city interprets that to mean intercourse between a man and a woman, um, which makes it impossible for them to satisfy this definition of infertility and then get IVF benefits. Um, so they filed this class action charge alleging that the policy is a, is discriminatory as a result because it categorically excludes gay men. Wow. Honestly, Joe, I'm actually shocked that this is just now coming up. Why do you feel like we're just now hearing that the fact that this policy excludes such a, I mean, the queer community in this way? Yeah, I think it's because, um, you know, this issue has really started to come to the forefront in the last few years. And in a lot of states, and including in New York City, actually, um, departments in the state have issued guidance in recent years that say that you should provide IVF or uh, fertility treatments generally to um, people regardless of sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, So it is actually pretty surprising that this is a part of um, New York City's health plan. Um, And I think that that's part of what their lawyer has said, too, um, is that it was surprising that even though the city has provided sort of a way for um, lesbian couples and single women to meet this infertility definition by undergoing IUI. It hasn't provided a similar way for um, cisgender gay men to meet that definition, which is uh, pretty surprising. Yeah, and it's surprising that it's just come up. Yeah, now with this couple and what they're going through, has the insurance couple, I mean, company responded at all? Are they going to do anything about this? Maybe this is a loophole or was this a mistake? 
Yeah, so the insurance company actually um, isn't sort of the the um, body at issue here. It's uh, the city of New York, mm. and they have said that, um, you know, they provide policies to treat people regardless of gender identity and sexual orientation, um, and that they're going to continue to review the details of the complaint, but the, a spokesperson for the city didn't tell me anything else uh, outside of that. Oh, so have we actually heard from, like, uh, New York City Mayor Eric Adams on this? No, Eric Adams um, hasn't issued any sort of statement. Um, a spokesperson for him said, uh, you know, that his administration proudly supports the rights of LGBTQ plus New Yorkers um, to access the health care they need. That was the quote that they gave me. Um, but outside of that, we haven't heard from him. Is this something that couples are going to have to be worried about in other states now? Mm. Uh, Yes, definitely. Yeah. So this um, definition of infertility is pretty common across insurance policies. And it's been something that we've covered at NBC out in years past is that this is a barrier a lot of LGBTQ couples face when they're trying to, you know, start families is that insurance policies define infertility in a really narrow way. Um, So like you said, it is pretty shocking that this has just now come up. And the lawyer said that they actually believe that this is the first EEOC charge filed um, on behalf of gay cisgender men. Um, I, we've seen in the past them filed on behalf of um, lesbian couples. Um, so it is pretty shocking that this has just come up uh, because this is an issue in other states across the country, too. So in the midst of this class action charge, what what do the, what does the couple do? Like, do they just kind of hop their plans? Like, where does this now put them? Yeah, that's that's the really heartbreaking part of the story uh, is that they've told me that they've been talking about having a family for nearly a decade. Uh, so when they first started dating, they said, you know, neither of them would have been really interested in pursuing a relationship with the other if they weren't both interested in having kids. And that was really important to both of them. Um, and they decided to start their family in 2017. And that's when they found out about this problem with the insurance policy. And so they told me, um, Nicholas in particular said that, you know, he feels like the city has um, delayed his right to, to become a father. And he thought that he would be a dad um, in his late 30s. And um, he, it looks like that's not going to happen. Um, their plans are going to be delayed for um, at least a couple more years because this uh, charge could take, you know, up to two years to play out. Um, so that's that's the really heartbreaking part of, of the story is that their plans, um, you know, their right to, ber- to start a family have been put on hold. Wow. Have other gay male couples come forward experiencing the same thing? As far as I know, they haven't yet. Um, and that's just because uh, of sort of the legal sort of uh, uh, thing that this has to go through first is that first it goes to the EEOC before it could become a class action lawsuit. So if it does become a class action lawsuit, then other couples could come forward. Okay, well, thank you so much for your reporting about this and for joining us as always. We appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was Joe Yurkeba, a reporter for NBC Out, the LGBTQ section at NBC News Digital. Well, what's coming up next, Ryan? All right, well, one charter school is showcasing LGBTQ acceptance in the heart of a red state. Yep, you won't believe it. Coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Being from the South, there's nothing more shocking than finding out that there is an LGBTQ-friendly charter school in the heart of a red state. Joining us to tell us more about this school and if there is hope for the future when it comes to seeing other schools pop up like this is Scott Shackford. Uh, He is the associate editor at uh, Reason. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so break down this school because it's really exciting. I'm from Nashville, um, but to know that this school is in the heart of Alabama. 
of all states. Please tell us why this is such a big deal. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I'm I'm from I grew up in Florida and started my career in South Carolina. So so I get it too. Yeah. So uh, just outside of Birmingham, uh, there's a place now called Magic City Acceptance Academy, which is a public charter school. Uh, specifically designed to affirm the identities of LGBTQ students, accepts everybody because it is a public school, uh, but its focus is making sure that LGBTQ students have a place where they can go, uh, and this is for 6th to 12th grade, um, and get the support they need, avoid bullying, and get a traditional education. Uh, Yeah, and this is obviously rare there. So how hard was it for them to launch this? Yeah, so it took them it took them several tries. They've been working on it for a little while. It's connected to a local uh, HIV AIDS outreach program that had expanded and realized that there was a real need for um, young people in their community to have a place to go. Um, it took four tries before they were able to get approval. First, they went through local school districts, and then eventually they, they went through the state itself and were able to get permission to open. And it just opened its doors uh, last summer with about uh, 232 students. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, the crazy thing right now that's a, a lot of the conversation happening around schools is critical race theory. I mean, trans youth, the, the books, everything. I, I guess I wonder for a school like this, what's different about this school in terms of what they provide? Yeah, so that's an interesting question that's going to be leading to some conflict down the line as this, mm. as these fights play out. Charter schools are supposed to be have the same kind of education as a public school. So you're supposed to learn the same subjects. A kid who comes out of a charter school is supposed to learn math and English and science and everything else. But they have a lot of freedom to um, create, be creative with the curriculum to appeal to its students and focused on particular areas. So an LGBT school will want to be able to teach history and social studies and all this stuff with an additional LGBT lens uh, to help these students learn. Now, the issue with some of these, these fights over what schools teach, you would think then that a charter school could be an escape from that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all these, there are proposed bills to stop schools from talking about gay, lesbian, transgender students to, to interfere, you know, with the development of, the, of students in public schools. Charter schools should be a place to get away from that. But the problem is because they're public schools, some of these bills that are being written up wow. include charter schools. So in Alabama, for example, they are considering uh, a bill, a lawmaker has introduced a bill that would stop public school libraries from carrying books that are primarily about LGBT and sexual issues. It includes charter uh, charter schools in the bill's wording. So if that bill passes, suddenly this LGBT-affirming charter school cannot have books in its library about LGBT issues. Wow. That is is some, uh, what's the show again, where they took away the books, everything, the dystopian show? Um, Handmaid's Tale. Tale. That is some crazy stuff. Uh, Again, though, uh, we are talking to Scott Shackford, associate editor at Reason, about this new LGBT-friendly charter school in Alabama. It's so needed right now. 
I guess for me, I with all of that, it felt like this would be a good start where, oh, this is a good sign. We'll possibly start seeing yeah. more schools like this. But really, even with those bills that you just mentioned, it feels like should we really be getting our hopes that high? Well, I mean, school choice is a good idea in general for LG, for families with LGBT kids, for LGBTQ families, because they create alternatives if your public school isn't serving your kids' needs, which is something, again, I, I'm gay. I am a product of public schools. I would have given anything for a school like this to exist when I was a teenager. Exactly. Um, and so what it does, you should st- we should still be working to make public schools a better place and more accepting place for LGBTQ students. But the great thing about things like charter schools and school choice is that it creates alternatives when s- schools are not living up to those expectations. Mm-hmm. Wow. So do you think this is going to be a model we see across the country now? Yeah, there's a few of them. There's, there's, there's about six, a few more. Um, some of them in major cities like Los Angeles and New York. Uh, I, I picked this academy because, first of all, it's new. And, of course, for the same reason that you brought it up, it's in Alabama. Right. Uh, but there's a few. There's one in Arizona. There's one in Ohio. So they're, they're, slowly, they're slowly gaining steam. Um, and it is, I, I hope so. I really do hope that it takes off because it's a great way of specializing education um, and for these kids who need very specific assistance sometimes in coming to terms with their identity. Well, we'll most definitely be keeping our eye out. Thank you so much, Scott Shackford, who is the associate, associate editor at Reason. Thank you so much. Next up, this California woman was trapped in the wilderness. How she survived over six days, what she ate, and could we do it? I don't know about that. Next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, when we're talking about the 40-hour work week, I feel like there's always multiple conversations about, oh, is that going away? Are we going to see it get smaller? I mean, California is actually possibly talking about doing a 32-hour work week bill. But is that actually going to lead the way for everyone else around the country? Is this a shift? Well, we have an opinion journalist, a uh, columnist uh, that actually wrote about this from the Washington Post, Helene uh, Olin. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me on. So this is so interesting. Why is this popping up right now, especially when I feel like there's still so many conversations around the great resignation and just work-related conversations in the economy and inflation? Why is this important right now to talk about? I think it's part of it, the, the great talk of the great resignation. People, when, they, when the pandemic hit, we had a huge number of people who were suffered from their jobs. We also had a huge number of people who went home to work. Those people who went home to work found themselves working more than they had done while they were actually on premises, almost an hour a day. This has led to an epic burnout. And when combined with, you know, the sort of movement of people away from their old jobs into new jobs, a sort of reconsideration of what it is to work, how we work and how we can best work. California seems to really be leading the way in this. Is that right? Well, it's hard to say if they're leading the way. I mean, what essentially what's going on is there's been initiatives out there to, you know, to try to see how 
the work week would work if it was shortened. Iceland did an experiment several years ago. There has been pilot projects in Sweden and other European countries. And what they find for the most part over and over again is that people are able to get the same amount of work done in less time if they're more focused. There's very little loss of productivity. So the California bill is sort of a combination of those previous efforts with the ground reality of increased worker dissatisfaction. You know, the conversation around a four-day work week just feels so let's field because, one, it just feels like capitalism will, in this country, will never allow it to happen. <laughs> you know, I feel like capitalism means everything in this country. And if that means shortening the work week, doesn't that mean less money for big corporations? And, of course, these businessmen who are very traditional in the ways that they think in, in the ways that, you know, work happens and money's being made, that they would never let this happen? I don't think anyone thinks this is happening overnight. I should put that out there, right? (laughs) The the chances of this bill getting passed this year are are roughly about the same chances as my poodle waking up as a pit bull tomorrow morning. (laughs) But the fact fact is, is the 40-hour work week was once a pipe dream, too. And if you go back and look, you will find even years after it was legislated during the Great Depression, business interests pushing back against it. It was not a natural thing. And we need to accept the fact that, you know, working that many hours might be too much. I mean, it's, you know, once upon a time, people thought we should be working 60 hours a week, too. That was just based on a different time and a different model for how we work. Are there any countries doing this properly? Well, I mean, what I would say is, is this isn't you know, a country by country one thing necessarily. But what is going on is, you know, Americans work more than anyone else, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have a legal right to vacation. We don't have a legal right to sick pay, you know, per the government. And we put in more hours on the job than any other comparable first world country. And uh, it seems like our anxiety is through the roof. That's why I was going to ask how much of the conversation with social media and mental health kind of played into this idea of creating a four day work week. I think what's really playing into it is somewhat that. But I think it's also, you know how Katie Porter, when she does this congressional hearing, says, I'm reclaiming my time. Yeah. I think people are, as a mass effort, trying to reclaim their time. Work in the United States over the past several decades has become an incredibly greedy beast. You know, it interferes with family relations, you know, our ability to lead a life, to just simply relax. You know, Sheryl Sandberg had a major bestseller with a book where she told people, yeah, you can go home at 630, but if you want to get ahead, you really have to sign back on and do emails after your kid goes to bed, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think this has been just people saying, I've had enough. I need my time back. I want my time back. Can I please have my time back? Well, all right. We appreciate you for joining us for this conversation. I think you brought up some really interesting points and perspectives. Helene Olin, who is a columnist at The Washington Post, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on.
Well, next up, the truth about intermittent fasting. Does it actually work? Scientists have an answer finally after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, Republican lawmakers around the country are pushing an array of bills that limit the discussion of gay rights in schools. But are there some long-term risks for Republicans in the future? Well, some GOP members think so. And joining us to break this down is White House reporter Annie Linsky. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, happy to be here. I was actually really interested in your article that you wrote, your um, your piece today on the Washington Post about this. There does feel like there could be potentially some mixed messaging inside of the GOP party when it comes to the lack of support for these anti-LGBTQ bills. Well, what are you hearing exactly? Yeah, I think there are certainly some Republican strategists who um, fear that the place that the party seems to be staking out right now, which is... Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, pushing these anti-LGBTQ um, uh, pieces of legislation in uh, in various states. I think there are Republican strategists who who worry that they look at the marriage debate, they look where marriage equality ended up, and they worry that this um, could play out in a similar way to where as Americans become more and more aware of trans issues and the um, the, the issues facing particularly trans um, children, that their kind of, um, you know, opposition for trans rights will will look quite bad and that there will be, a, you know, a kind of a very similar trajectory on this issue as there was on, on marriage. And with uh, different members of the GOP and even, uh, you know, Tim Miller that was referenced in the article, a former spokesman for Jeb Bush's, a 2016 presidential bid speaking out. Do you think that this is going to create a bit of a rumble in the uh, GOP space right now that some people are saying that this is one, not the right thing strategically, but just in general, morally as well? <laughs> I, you know, I think the the issue is in the short term, the Republicans see it like quite a benefit, um, y- you know, and I think even some of the strategists who are worried about the longer term impact, they do view there being a short-term benefit for them, particularly in this is the, you know, this is the primary season for a lot of, in a lot of Republican races. So staking out a position, um, you know, on, on some of these issues that does, um, is harmful to the LGBTQ community um, is something that they're seeing kind of, you know, an, an immediate incentive to do. So I think when you're looking at where, um, the, the harm for their party could be strategically and sort of, you know, putting the, the, the moral aspect of the issue aside, um, the, the, the strategic concerns is a sort of in the, the kind of medium to longer term. Yeah, and I don't think that that's particularly good news for the LGBTQ community. I mean, there's a, obviously a lot of the discussion around this is only going to get sort of hotter in, as you go, you know, through these primary uh, campaigns and then through the the general election, I think this issue will come up more and more. Yeah, what I find interesting is log cabin Republicans. Period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are they thinking about? Kind of this anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ legislation that we're seeing. Are they in support of it? Are they actually, you know, opposing it? What are they like feeling right now? 
Yeah, you know, I talked to them. It's they're in a, in a they're in an interesting position. You know, to your point, there are Republicans um, who also support um, equality, and and you know, many of their leaders are, are you know members of the LGBTQ community, um, and so they they are, um, but they are looking at these this legislation um, from from their perspective. They see it, their approach as being one of pragmatism, to where they're they're trying to. Um, put out what they see as the really kind of the bigger fires and leaving some of the the fights that they do, they're trying to pick and choose between which fights to have. So, for example, they looked at the Florida legislation, that bill that, that has been signed into law, um, and they did not, did not believe that it was um, so bad um, for the community because they pointed out um, they were able to work with the lawmaker. They were able to reach out to the Florida lawmaker who wrote the legislation and help sort of fend off amendments that would have made it much worse. And they were they felt that, you know, as Republicans, they were able to have a conversation um, with that lawmaker and impact the outcome. But they say, look, they were not they were not ready to have this fight this year. You know they're they're having to gear up a, a sort of a, a state legislative strategy to where they're tracking some of these bills in in states and they're not even kind of they don't have that infrastructure in place. Are there any Republicans right now in office that are willing to push back against these laws um, that stand out to you? Yeah, yeah, you certainly have seen. Um, you know, I think the um, the governor of, of Utah, his um, name is escaping me at the moment. I apologize. I just got over COVID. So oh I'm gonna blame God. COVID. I no, the fact that you're doing this. Thank you for being here. Um, no, 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 no. I have to. Spencer Cox, um, right? Yes, yes. And and you know, he he wrote a very you know powerful letter that I think got a lot of traction and has is, has has offered as he was vetoed um, somewhat similar legislation. Um, in his state that would have impacted the trans community. Um, his letter sort of explaining why he, he felt that this is something that should be vetoed. It is, it, you, you, you do hear some more moderate Republicans, you know, echoing some of his sentiment that, you know, he d- did not feel that he wanted to be, you know, seen as picking on a community um, that, that, is, that is struggling for rights right now um, and, and did not want to be on that side. Of course, he, you know, he vetoed that, knowing that his veto was going to be over overridden. But, you know, you do see there are some Republicans. They, they also tend to sort of push this issue aside as a, you know, this should be decided by the states or this should be decided by, you know, school boards or, you know, golly, this should be decided by anybody that's not me. Um, you know, they, so that's, that is also kind of a common way for Republicans to get out of having this conversation um, mm-hmm. if, they, if they don't want to oppose where they're, party seems to be right now. Okay, well, that was White House reporter Annie Linsky. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Happy to be here. Anyway, moving on. Another reason you might rethink using disposable cups. It's kind of gross. Next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Oh my God, I can't believe it's happened. It's happened. Uh, Twitter's board accepted billionaire Elon Musk's offer to buy the social media company for uh, $44 billion. This is crazy. I mean, I knew we were talking about it. I knew Twitter was like, no, we're not going to do it. But then they changed their mind and they were actually considering it. There's so much to break down here. Yes. Uh, I, and this all happened within a week, which is wild. <laughs> yeah. uh, back with us right now is Kat Tenbarge, NBC News tech and culture reporter. Thanks again for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. Well, who knew? Last week we were talking about this crazy offer 
And it seems like the board was seeking to fend off what they were calling a hostile takeover by adopting this so-called poison pill. But then what happened since then? So essentially news broke just today that uh, Twitter has accepted Elon Musk's bid uh, to essentially take over the company and take it off of the stock market and so that it becomes a private company. Uh, this is a $44 billion purchase, which kind of indicates that messy things could happen in terms of moving that much money around with somebody who has interest in so many different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Twitter seems to think that Elon will be able to take over. Wow. Okay. So why all of a sudden did Twitter have a change of heart? We can't know for sure. There seems to have been internal disagreement within the company. Some employees seemed happy about potentially having Musk take the company over. Others have expressed more discontent. But uh, when it comes down to it, the fact that Elon is the wealthiest person on the planet and was willing to uh, you know, negotiate this bid for a lot more money than Twitter currently has, I'm sure played a role. Mm. So what happens now? I, I saw he tweeted. He said that he wants to make some changes himself right now. What can we expect? So Elon has always declared himself a free speech absolutist, but he's also said some things that are a little bit contradictory to that. Uh, he's implied that anything anyone says will go on Twitter, but at the same time, he's promised to crack down on scammy bots that are selling fake crypto. Um, <laughs> things that seem kind of contradictory. Uh, what I can imagine will happen and what Twitter experts and people who used to work with the company are saying is that the company will likely shift away from uh, efforts to moderate online harassment and other types of harmful content and may instead prioritize things like uh, user growth and uh, the ability to make money. What's so interesting is the conversation that's actually happening on Twitter from users mm-hmm. saying that if this happens, which it has, that they will no longer use the platform. What do you think about that reaction? Because I, I know sometimes as a user, a lot of people feel like they have a lot more say and control uh, in these, you know, for these companies and the ways that they use it. If they don't use it, maybe the companies will change. But realistically, how should we be thinking about this as users? Right. So a lot of times when social media companies or the people who are the face of them make controversial decisions, people will call for a ban from everyday users uh, deleting their accounts or leaving the platform. And what usually happens in these cases, we've seen it with Facebook, Instagram, lots of other social media companies. It doesn't really put that much of a dent in the platform. Uh, I think more people are dependent on their favorite social media sites than they would like to admit. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that this probably won't take that many people away from Twitter, at least for the time being. However, I can definitely see over time uh, people trickling away from Twitter, moving toward other platforms. This is something that's already been happening over the past few years. But let's say the user experience actually becomes worse under Elon Musk then we can see Twitter become less valuable as a private company. Yeah, but like, where do people go? Because it seems like we're doing this weird cycle. It's like a toxic cycle. Like, Facebook sucks. Instagram sucks. Uh, TikTok sucks. Twitter sucks. And yet... What new platforms you know, yeah, are there? And, and then new platforms <laughs> launch, and this is the reality. And you know this because you cover it. And it is hard to create that groundswell. Absolutely. I think most new social media companies have a really difficult time measuring up against these huge behemoths that already exist. And when it comes down to it, a lot of people are actually kind of addicted to these platforms and or maybe their personal brands or their businesses rely on these platforms to survive. So a lot of people are 
sort of stuck and it will probably take a lot of disruption in the tech industry before we really see people migrate away from a site like Twitter. So did people that have stock in like, you know, Twitter, did they just get a major payday? That's a great question. (laughs) I'm not sure exactly what happens to, for example, the Twitter employees who were partially paid in Twitter stock. Mm. I assume there's going to be a lot of monetary shakeups within the company and Assuming that there is no longer the ability to buy and sell Twitter shares, then hopefully people will get a big payday. Wow. Well, so interesting because I'm looking at like March 7th, 2022, it was at $32, right? So the shares were going in between $60 to $30. So he bought them at $54.20. He kind of did the average, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm assuming some people got it like at much lower at the beginning. And yeah, some people probably made some money. Well, I mean, do we, last time you were here, we talked about this, you know, how... Elon Musk is very strategic and he has a lot going on personally in his other work worlds that, you know, he may not want to talk about right now. Do we think this was all strategy? Did he do what he set out to do with not talking about what's going on at Tesla and now talking about him being the new owner of Twitter? Well, I can certainly say that most people, when they say the name Elon Musk over the past couple of weeks and surely far into the future, are going to be thinking about the Twitter takeover rather than any of his other controversies. So from a PR perspective, uh, he definitely got his name in a more in a, in a way that will separate him from his past controversies. OK, that was Kat Tenbarge, NBC News tech and culture reporter. Thank you so much again. Thank you. See you on Twitter. Okay, <laughs> what's coming up next, Ryan? Well, there's an inter- uh, interesting discourse happening in the Republican Party right now where some feel like the LGBTQ measures, the anti-LGBTQ legislation that we're seeing is an overreach. Well, we're having the Washington Post join us up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Happy Monday. Welcome Woo-woo. back to another week of shows. Oh, yes. And honestly, after a weekend of just... Honestly, sure. I didn't leave my apartment this Congrats. week. Congrats! No, that's Success. not good. Yeah. I was I was literally packing. Packing oh, is yeah. the worst thing ever. I don't know who invented it, but it's <laughs> awful. I just want to throw. There were so many times I contemplated throwing just all of my stuff in the trash. Totally. And honestly, I may have done that. Oh, really? Or yeah, because I'm just over it. You're giving it away. Don't well, I'm, it I have like. You know, I have like five bags of clothes that I'm going to give away. Oh, good for you. Yeah, um, but I still have way too much stuff. Like, I have to buy more boxes. I thought I had too many boxes, but no, I have not enough. And so packing is just not fun. I, I'm i really um, just thinking about that, and it's, it's been heavy in my heart. And then the fact that I have to unpack it all. Oh, wow. yeah, it's gross. You should get someone help Please. you. Well, are you, are you down? I'm not fine. Are you, are you volunteering right now? You heard can, it here first, people. She volunteered to help me unpack and pack. Oh, I can barely do it for myself, let well, alone you. had a busy you. weekend, though. I did. I got my eggs taken out of me. Yes. Uh, to be uterus frozen. update. Yes, it's uterus <laughs> update. Your weekly uterus update. Uh, and, yeah, it's done. Yeah. I'm no longer on hormones. But now is like kind of the, it, you know, you come down from it. That's yeah. a whole other thing. And now I still have some swelling. So I do feel like I'm, I have a preg, like I look like yeah. I have that little bump, the yeah. baby bump, even though I, I obviously am not pregnant. Not that I know. She of. literally saw me and was like, I'm wearing maternity wear. That's I'm what like, I felt like. Shira. I couldn't put on my jeans. <laughs> I tightened, I, I, I like, I put them on, but you could have, I had that little belly, which is fine. It is fine. Uh, I'll be wearing, uh, 
leggings all week, basically. But yeah, you could check out all my updates at Shira Lazar on my Instagram. It was an interesting process, and I'm getting a lot of great messages from people just wanting to learn more about it for themselves, too, which is really cool. I love that. Yeah, but let's get into the show because we have big news around Elon Musk buying Twitter. Uh, we're going to be bringing you more details on that in 15 minutes, plus the New York gay male couple who is suing the state for discrimination over IVF. That's at 3.25 p.m. Pacific, 6.25 p.m. Eastern. Let's get into some what's trending this hour right now, though. Emmanuel Macron has won France's presidential election against far-right candidate Marine Le Pen during Sunday's vote. It's nice to see that France is doing something well. Macron took 58.5% of Sunday's vote, making him the first French leader to be re-elected in 20 years. Now, a Texas judge is saying that Disney World would be welcome if it chooses to leave its Florida home after Governor Ron DeSantis stripped the firm of its land and tax privileges. The offer comes after DeSantis signed a bill abolishing their self-governing district because, of course, Disney opposed their don't say gay bill. So the judge in Texas actually sent a letter to Disney CEO Bob Shapek and said the corporation would be warmly accepted in Fort Bend County, southwest of Houston. And he described Fort Bend as a welcoming and diverse place to do business, in contrast to the, quote, authoritarian anti-business and culture war attacks from DeSantis, which I agree. But let's not act like Texas is innocent here either. (laughs) None of those states are innocent. I love her. Like, we're not the worst of the worst. Yeah. Meanwhile, Colorado's governor also tried to lure Disney last week. They're trying. (laughs) So, like, all these states are coming in on this. And it They're would, like, yeah, we've done what we've done, but we're not them. Yeah, but I mean, if Disney did move, if that was even a potential, it would be a huge job. They, they have 25 hotels, four theme parks, two water parks across 43 know. square miles. I think I think Disney World should come to California. I know we have Disneyland, but Disney World is just better. And I feel like we I deserve would, a Disney I'd World. I'd rather have a Disney World closer than Disneyland, so I don't have to go to. Anaheim all the time. Come on. Ugh. But, you know, the amount of space they have in Florida is uh, slightly less than the land area of San Francisco. That's how big wow. it is. So this is not a small feat. I don't think they're going to be moving anytime soon. Yeah. And finally, a New York judge held former President Donald Trump in contempt for failing to comply with a subpoena related to the state attorney general Letitia James investigation into the Trump organization. Trump has now been ordered to turn over materials and will be fined $10,000 per day until he does. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Well, guess who got asked to be at the White House Correspondents' Dinner coming up this weekend? It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. If you're tired of this couple, Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson will be back in Washington, D.C. this weekend for the 2022 White House Correspondents' Dinner. Now, uh, they're going to be sitting at the Disney ABC table as the Kardashians' new reality TV show, um, which is owned uh, by Disney on Hulu. And one source apparently said, I don't think they should feel that they're safe. Trevor could definitely turn his attention to Kim and Pete. You know, Trevor Noah's hosting. Um, and nice. it's actually, it's the first time the dinner will be held in two years as it was postponed due to the pandemic. It will also be the first time that the sitting president has attended the corresponding uh, correspondence dinner in five years since Donald Trump was a big baby and refused to go throughout his time in office. Uh, president Biden and the first lady, Jill Biden, will be attending this year's gala. Um, and yeah, like I said, if you are overseeing this couple, you might not want to watch this year. 
<laughs> yeah, you know everyone's going to be just paying attention to them. I know, and I can't wait to see what she wears. That's your team report. We have more coming up next hour, and you're going to want to listen because uh, Sharon Osbourne, she did something crazy after she le- left the talk. And she actually is talking about it. Find out more coming up next hour. All right. Well, more on Elon Musk buying Twitter and what the future holds for the social media platform. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Our next story will make you rethink using disposable coffee cups or really anything for that matter. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. Researchers have analyzed disposable cups coated with this. uh, You know, like you could have a disposable cup that has a layer of like a... looks or feels like plastic on it you know like on the inside on the inside there's like a, it will feel like there's something I've never over examined it, my yeah. cups i just use them well, and then throw them away <laughs> well when these cups are exposed to boiling water and this is most of these disposable cups we use they release trillions of particles known as microplastics and they could create a lot of bad health effects in people or animals and so it's been discovered that most disposable cups and actually tea can release microplastics, and it means we're swallowing them. So we okay. are consuming plastic. It's disgusting. Honestly, that's probably not the worst thing that I'm consuming. No, I think it really it's, is. Let's be honest. It's probably not the worst thing I'm consuming. It can cause uh, inflammation, and inflammation causes other really bad chronic illnesses and diseases. Okay. So I see the importance of this, but then also I'm like... I, I've never actually know. Like, I wonder, do they only give the these cups are not at Starbucks? Like these, they actually have been. I feel like they're at like those little boutique coffee shops. No, actually, these are cups that are used. If anything, I would say high end places use more uh, sustainable cups that could be disposable and that um, are biodegradable, which as these these cups aren't. And actually, Starbucks recently made a move beginning. Um, Friday, Starbucks, and this is so that beginning last week, last Friday, Starbucks is offering an incentive for using reusable cups in an effort to reduce waste. Not just because it reduces waste, but now we're also seeing that a lot of these cups, depending on what they're made of, actually put plastics into our body. And it's not just cups. This is why the whole plastic bottle, oh, plastic bottle thing. Ryan has a plastic bottle yeah, here. I'm it's not Fiji water. <laughs> I am. I well, never I'm, said I didn't like to use you know plastic. The, uh, you, <laughs> I hate paper. I literally hate paper uh, straws. I hate paper uh, spoons. I hate the paper. It makes no sense. If you want me to have something good for the environment, then give me a damn metal straw. <laughs> And give me a, a buy me a, a a metal whatever. But yes, for right now, I will so, be using the plastics. Um, I, I agree, and I, I and I'm my not love and light to Nemo. <laughs> I'm not perfect. If there's a plastic bottle around and I'm really thirsty, I will be having a plastic bottle. If I do have the choice, I try to do something different. Look what I have today. It's a uh, glass. What are these called? A, mason jar. A mason jar. You don't even know what you're using. <laughs> no, you want to educate us about well, yes, it plastic? It says mason on it. <laughs> it literally says it's a mason jar. I, I couldn't find one of my bottles, so I just used a mason jar. Because literally, we are consuming plastic. So it's just a heads up to watch out what you're buying, what you're using. Because I do think we're going to find more and more studies like this coming out and we're going to realize how sick we're making ourselves. And it's contributing to all of that. We won't be sick by the plastic. We'll probably be sick by, I don't know, every time we flush the toilet and feces jumps out at us. (laughs) You don't think about that? Like when you flush... 
and like the water from the the it comes oh up. Oh my god, that I, is the grossest thing. That's why I said we get your toilet we take seat after. We like we get in contact with so many worse things than this. Well, they actually said it. also for the first time, microplastics have been discovered in live human lungs, proving we are breathing them in from the air. Well, maybe it'll become a part of us as evolution goes. We'll just turn into <laughs> one big bubble boy. <laughs> the plastics, as Mean Girl says. All right. Well, next up on the show, J.K. Rowling's latest attack and during Lesbian Visibility Week. Really? Can she just keep her mouth shut? That and more next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Welcome back. And more music, of course, coming up right here on Channel Q. But right now we've got some more show. We're going to be telling you more about a gay couple in New York City who's denied IVF coverage and how this could impact others in the future. Plus, Sharon Osbourne reveals how she healed her trauma after getting fired from the talk. That's the tear report in a moment. First, let's get into some what's trending this hour. The case of a praying coach is making its way to the Supreme Court, and it could change cases around religious expression. Now, Joe Kennedy was suspended from his coaching job at Bremerton High School in Washington State six years ago. He has since lost numerous court cases arguing his right to pray on the field, and he's alleging that the school district violated his First Amendment rights by refusing to let him pray at midfield after games. Lawyers for the public schools argue that they actually allowed him to pray separately from the students or let him return to the field after students left, but praying at midfield could be seen as failing to separate children. Church and state. And the Supreme Court, um, after today's arguments are heard, will decide that. So, this is a pretty interesting one that's coming up, up and uh, being reported about everywhere. I mean, personally, I have nothing wrong. Like, church and state, when you're telling people how to live, that's, I, I'm against that. If you have your own way of praying, um, depending on your religion, and like you need to do it at a certain time or yeah. in a certain way, I don't really care. Yeah, I mean, I think you made a valid point. It's the it's when it starts to impede on other people's rights. Like, you're not telling me I need to pray. Yeah. If you're just praying, do your thing. Yeah, and it shouldn't be a motivation or a motivator to tell you to not talk about, like, queer stuff. Or, like, you know, like, yes. we have to find the fine line. But I don't know. Sometimes I, I feel like maybe just take it all out because clearly this country doesn't know how to find a healthy balance. Right. Okay, well, now White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki gave her thoughts on Twitter's decision to accept Elon Musk's $44 billion buyout offer. And here's what she had to say. Well, I'm not going to comment on a specific transaction. Uh, What I can tell you as a general matter, no matter who owns or runs uh, Twitter, uh, the president has long been concerned about the power of large social media platforms, uh, the power they have over our everyday lives, has long argued that tech platforms must be held accountable for the harms they cause. Uh, He has been a strong supporter of fundamental reforms to achieve that goal, including reforms to Section 230, enacting antitrust reforms, requiring more transparency, and more. And he's encouraged uh, that uh, there's bipartisan interest in Congress. Uh, In terms of what hypothetical policies uh, might uh, happen, I'm just not going to speak to that at this point in time. And the real question, she didn't answer this. Do you think he'll let Trump back on? (laughs) I mean, 
I feel like he, Elon Musk is going to let everyone back on, unfortunately. Like, anyone who has been, like, blocked off. Which is scary because it's like, yes, free speech. It's the First Amendment of this country. But, like, where's the line of when it's just false information or if it's harassment or it's, like, actually causing danger to people's lives? Like, Elon is probably going to have a really big reality check coming up soon if he allows himself yeah to. and and guess what turning it private but then while his other companies are public it will definitely impact the the stocks or the share the shares there right if he starts doing he's already done sketchy stuff right but then you add in more visibility around him and his actions and it could get really bad i just don't feel like he's like we're in safe hands with him as it relates to any sort of... I'll never feel like I'm in di- safe hands like- with a billionaire unless your name is Mark Cuban. And maybe oh. then, that's that's a whole other thing. I still got to get to know him a little bit more. <laughs> True. Okay, well, uh, we are definitely not in safe hands when it comes to J.K. Rowling, the Harry Potter author had to tweet out and put her foot in her mouth this week, this morning, as Lesbian Visibility Week started in the UK. And this is what she had to say. Of course, like... what. I don't know why, but she said, a good moment to salute the resilience and courage of my inspirational friend. And she had a picture of Alison Bailey, one of the co-founders of the anti-LGBTQ organization, LGB Alliance, which is definitely a hit to, obviously, the transgender community. Uh, Now, Linda Riley, the publisher of the UK queer woman magazine, Diva, the creator of Lesbian Visibility Week, tweeted back, I certainly did not create this week so that people like J.K. Rowling could use it as a vehicle to stir up more hate within our community. This is a perfect example of how to be, uh, how not to be an ally so, yeah, J.K. Rowling, again, why? <laughs> that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Oh, my God. I don't know why Sharon Osbourne thought she should share this, but guess what? Have you been wondering what she's been up to after leaving the talk? It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So Sharon Osbourne underwent ketamine therapy after she was ousted from the talk. Um, Yeah, she said this. If you're a person that stuffs things down or suppresses things, I'm fine, I'm fine. This drug relaxes you. This is her talking to the UK, the Times, um, and talking about the drug which is used in practice to induce dissociative amnesia, sedation amnesia, um, anesthesia, I mean, dissociative anesthesia, sedation um, amnesia, and pain relief. She described her experience with this saying she could still function while taking in its calming effects. She says, you're not out completely. You can hear, you can talk, but you're so relaxed and you can BS on it. It's a truth drug. You can't BS on it. It's a truth drug. You know, I didn't need to know that she did ketamine therapy, which it's is a real a, thing. <laughs> that feels like a little sketchy to me. I'm sorry. I know we're we've been having really interesting conversations here on the show about, you know, how we see mushrooms kind of coming into play with psychology and depression and things like that. But ketamine, I don't know. The girls out here be doing real hard drugs and calling it therapy. I don't know if you're not familiar. Osborne exited the CBS show with a payout of up to $10 million last year after she defended Pierce Morgan's harsh criticism of Meghan Markle at the time. Viewers and some of her co-hosts claimed her words were, quote, racially insensitive. Yeah, I mean, 
$10 million. I guess you have a lot to blow on ketamine. That's your team report. <laughs> and uh, we got more coming up next hour. I mean, I'm happy she at least got some therapy. But uh, next up on the show, the case of a gay couple who filed a complaint against New York City over denying their IVF coverage more now. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A gay couple has filed a class action charge of discrimination against New York City, alleging that the city's insurance policy is discriminatory because it does not cover in vitro fertilization, otherwise known as IVF, for gay male couples. And joining us right now is Joe Yurkeba, a reporter for NBC Out, the LGBTQ section at NBC News Digital. Welcome back. Hi, happy to be here. So tell us more about this couple and what exactly happened. Sure. So uh, their names are Corey Briskin and Nicholas Magipinto, and they filed this class action charge because they discovered in 2017 that Corey, uh, Corey's insurance didn't cover IVF for gay male couples. And Corey was a prosecutor for the city of New York, um, so it was uh, considered a public service job, and he was supposed to receive coverage of IVF as part of his benefits. But the couple found out in 2017 that the insurance policy defines infertility as the inability to conceive after 12 months of unprotected intercourse or after 12 cycles of IUI, which is intrauterine insemination, um, over 12 months. And though the policy didn't explicitly define intercourse, the couple says that the city interprets that to mean intercourse between a man and a woman, um, which makes it impossible for them to satisfy this definition of infertility and then get IVF benefits. Um, so they filed this class action charge alleging that the policy is a, is discriminatory as a result because it categorically excludes gay men. Wow. Honestly, Joe, I'm actually shocked that this is just now coming up. Why do you feel like we're just now hearing that the fact that this policy excludes such a, I mean, the queer community in this way? Yeah, I think it's because, um, you know, this issue has really started to come to the forefront in the last few years. And in a lot of states, and including in New York City, actually, um, departments in the state have issued guidance in recent years that say that you should provide IVF or uh, fertility treatments generally to um, people regardless of sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, So it is actually pretty surprising that this is a part of um, New York City's health plan. Um, And I think that that's part of what their lawyer has said, too, um, is that it was surprising that even though the city has provided sort of a way for um, lesbian couples and single women to meet this infertility definition by undergoing IUI, it hasn't provided a similar way for um, cisgender gay men to meet that definition, which is uh, pretty surprising. Yeah, and it's surprising that it's just come up Yeah, now with this couple and what they're going through. Has the insurance couple, I mean, company responded at all? Are they going to do anything about this? Maybe this is a loophole or was this a mistake? Yeah, so the insurance company actually um, isn't sort of the the um, body at issue here. It's uh, the city of New York, mm. and they have said that, um, you know, they provide policies to treat people regardless of gender identity and sexual orientation, um, and that they're going to continue to review the details of the complaint. But the, a spokesperson for the city didn't tell me anything else uh, outside of that. Oh, so have we actually heard from, like, uh, New York City Mayor Eric Adams on this? No, Eric Adams um, hasn't issued any sort of statement. Um, A spokesperson for him said, uh, you know, that his administration proudly supports the rights of LGBTQ plus New Yorkers um, to access the health care they need. That was the quote that they gave me. Um, But outside of that, we haven't heard from him. Is this something that couples are going to have to be worried about in other states now? Mm. 
Uh, yes, definitely. Yeah. So this um, definition of infertility is pretty common across insurance policies. And it's been something that we've covered at NBC out in years past is that this is a barrier a lot of LGBTQ couples face when they're trying to, you know, start families, is that insurance policies define infertility in a really narrow way. Um, so like you said, it is pretty shocking that this has just now come up. And the lawyer said that they actually believe that this is the first EEOC charge filed um, on behalf of gay cisgender men. Um, I, we've seen in the past them filed on behalf of um, lesbian couples. Um, so it is pretty shocking that this has just come up uh, because this is an issue in other states across the country, too. So in the midst of this class action charge, what what do the, what does the couple do? Like, do they just kind of hop their plans? Like, where does this now put them? Yeah, that's that's the really heartbreaking part of the story uh, is that they've told me that they've been talking about having a family for nearly a decade. Mm. Uh, so when they first started dating, they said, you know, neither of them would have been really interested in pursuing a relationship with the other if they weren't both interested in having kids. And that was really important to both of them. Um, and they decided to start their family in 2017. And that's when they found out about this problem with the insurance policy. And so they told me, um, Nicholas in particular said that, you know, he feels like the city has um, delayed his right to, to become a father. And he thought that he would be a dad um, in his late 30s. And um, he, it looks like that's not going to happen. Um, their plans are going to be delayed for um, at least a couple more years because this uh, charge could take, you know, up to two years to play out. Um, so that's that's the really heartbreaking part of, of the story is that their plans, um, you know, their right to, ber- to start a family have been put on hold. Wow. Have other gay male couples come forward experiencing the same thing? As far as I know, they haven't yet. Um, and that's just because uh, of sort of the legal sort of uh, uh, thing that this has to go through first is that first it goes to the EEOC before it could become a class action lawsuit. So if it does become a class action lawsuit, then other couples could come forward. Okay, well, thank you so much for your reporting about this and for joining us as always. We appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was Joe Yurkeba, a reporter for NBC Out, the LGBTQ section at NBC News Digital. Well, next up, it happened. Elon Musk bought Twitter. The details and how he plans to change the platform next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Oh, my God. I can't believe it's happened. It's happened. Uh, Twitter's board accepted billionaire Elon Musk's offer to buy the social media company for uh, $44 billion. This is crazy. I mean, I knew we were talking about it. I knew Twitter was like, no, we're not going to do it. But then they changed their mind and they were actually considering it. There's so much to break down here. Yes. Uh, I, and this all happened within a week, which is wild. <laughs> yeah. uh, back with us right now is Kat Tenbarge, NBC News tech and culture reporter. Thanks again for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. Well, who knew? Last week we were talking about this crazy offer And it seems like the board was seeking to fend off what they were calling a hostile takeover by adopting this so-called poison pill. But then what happened since then? So essentially news broke just today that uh, Twitter has accepted Elon Musk's bid uh, to essentially take over the company and take it off of the stock market and so that it becomes a private company. Uh, This is a $44 billion purchase, which kind of indicates that Messy things could happen in terms of moving that much money around with somebody who has interest in so many different places. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Twitter seems to think that Elon will be able to take over. Wow. Okay. So why all of a sudden did Twitter have a change of heart? 
We can't know for sure. There seems to have been internal disagreement within the company. Some employees seemed happy about potentially having Musk take the company over. Others have expressed more discontent. But uh, when it comes down to it, the fact that Elon is the wealthiest person on the planet and was willing to uh, you know, negotiate this bid for a lot more money than Twitter currently has, I'm sure played a role. Mm. So what happens now? I, I saw he tweeted. He said that he wants to make some changes himself right now. What can we expect? So Elon has always declared himself a free speech absolutist, but he's also said some things that are a little bit contradictory to that. Uh, he's implied that anything anyone says will go on Twitter, but at the same time, he's promised to crack down on scammy bots that are selling fake crypto. Um, <laughs> things that seem kind of contradictory. Uh, what I can imagine will happen and what Twitter experts and people who used to work with the company are saying is that the company will likely shift away from uh, efforts to moderate online harassment and other types of harmful content and may instead prioritize things like uh, user growth and uh, the ability to make money. What's so interesting is the conversation that's actually happening on Twitter from users mm -hmm. saying that if this happens, which it has, that they will no longer use the platform. What do you think about that reaction? Because I, I know sometimes as a user, a lot of people feel like they have a lot more say and control uh, in these, you know, for these companies and the ways that they use it. If they don't use it, maybe the companies will change. But realistically, how should we be thinking about this as users? Right. So a lot of times when social media companies or the people who are the face of them make controversial decisions, people will call for a ban from everyday users uh, deleting their accounts or leaving the platform. And what usually happens in these cases, we've seen it with Facebook, Instagram, lots of other social media companies, it doesn't really put that much of a dent in the platform. Uh, I think more people are dependent on their favorite social media sites than they would like to admit. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that this probably won't take that many people away from Twitter, at least for the time being. However, I can definitely see over time uh, people trickling away from Twitter, moving toward other platforms. This is something that's already been happening over the past few years. But let's say the user experience actually becomes worse under Elon Musk then we can see Twitter become less valuable as a private company. Yeah, but like, where do people go? Because it seems like we're doing this weird cycle. It's like a toxic cycle, like Facebook sucks, Instagram sucks, uh, TikTok sucks, Twitter sucks, and yet- What new platforms you know, yeah, are there? And, and then new platforms <laughs> launch, and this is the reality, and you know this because you cover it, and it is hard to create that groundswell. Absolutely. I think most new social media companies have a really difficult time measuring up against these huge behemoths that already exist. And when it comes down to it, a lot of people are actually kind of addicted to these platforms and or maybe their personal brands or their businesses rely on these platforms to survive. So a lot of people are sort of stuck and it will probably take a lot of disruption in the tech industry before we really see people migrate away from a site like Twitter. So did people that have stock in like, you know, Twitter, are, did they just get a major payday? That's a great question. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what happens to, for example, the Twitter employees who were partially paid in Twitter stock. Mm. I assume there's going to be a lot of monetary shakeups within the company and Assuming that there is no longer the ability to buy and sell Twitter shares, then hopefully people will get a big payday. 
Wow. Well, so interesting because I'm looking at like March 7th, 2022. It was at $32, right? So the shares were going in between $60 to $30. So he bought them at $54.20. He kind of did the average, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm assuming some people got it like at much lower at the beginning. And yeah, some people probably made some money. Well, I mean, do we, last time you were here, we talked about this, you know, how, Elon Musk is very strategic and he has a lot going on personally in his other work worlds that, you know, he may not want to talk about right now. Do we think this was all strategy? Did he do what he set out to do with not talking about what's going on at Tesla and now talking about him being the new owner of Twitter? Well, I can certainly say that most people, when they say the name Elon Musk over the past couple of weeks and surely far into the future, are going to be thinking about the Twitter takeover rather than any of his other controversies. So from a PR perspective, uh, he definitely got his name in a more in a, in a way that will separate him from his past controversies. OK, that was Kat Barge, NBC News tech and culture reporter. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Next up on the show, meet the first black female winemaker in Napa Valley. And let's have a toast without alcohol, I guess. But I'm excited for the story next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So we've all heard of intermittent fasting. Well, there's a new study that talks about whether it's actually good for you and whether it actually works. Mm. Have you tried intermittent fasting before? I feel like I have tried a lot of different things, but intermittent fasting for sure. Um, But... I think sometimes I just do it even without thinking, you know? When you're busy, you have a crazy work day, and then you end up eating between a certain time. But even then, it feels like you're cramming in a lot of food in just that Yeah, that's. I don't know if that's as healthy, but... I mean, that's intermittent, fa- that's intermittent fasting. You're allowed to eat between a certain amount of hours, yeah. and then you can't eat. Well, so, yes, you need to decide on a 12-hour fasting window every day, and then you can eat within those other hours, which doesn't mean, like, throwing everything into one hour. Um, So you might say, like, okay, I'm going to eat my last, like, I can't eat from 9 p.m. to 9 a.m., right? Right. Or 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Well, according to some Chinese scientists, uh, they, they said it did not have any benefit over restricting calories, Um, And this doctor, a diet researcher in California, said restricting calories was best. um, And in a study, they they recruited a bunch of different people to go on this calorie-restricted diet. They were either doing calorie restrictions or intermittent fasting. It was basically the same. It all sounds like some sort of eating disorder, if I'm being (laughs) quite honest. It does. If you think about it, it really, really does. So I I think this is now um, an interesting revelation for all those who are obsessed with this. Basically, you might as well just say you're cutting out calories because that's what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, you. yeah, you are. But wouldn't eating Oreos... And other delicious things be better than doing this? Probably. I think everything with moderation. Yeah. You know. Even though don't judge someone. I'm not judging someone. I'm just saying I know how I feel when I, like, when I... Eat some, so I, I'm all about balance. I eat a bit of everything. You all you eat is berries and, and leaves. <laughs> like you don't, you eat like save soup that's in the refrigerator for six months. That's good save soup. Like she just saves her soup for six months. <laughs> like she's some Amish woman, and like I'm just like, what are you doing? So I don't really want to hear from her about what we should be doing or not. Let's be honest. <laughs>
right. Well, uh, next time someone brings this up, you could just go back to this study and, um, you know, that this tells you whether it works or not. And just, you know, be safe the way, you know, when you are approaching your food, just make sure that it's legit and it's okay because you don't want to do anything sketchy or unhealthy. All right. Next up, of course, we're not the experts, but this is what we're reading. Um, next up, the states that are inviting Disney to relocate from Florida. That and more on what's trending this hour next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Can you believe the Napa Valley never had a black female winemaker? I mean, honestly, I want to say no, I can't believe that, but... <laughs> Yes, I can believe that. So we want to give a big shout out to Victoria Coleman, who is representing in Napa Valley and has become the first black female winemaker winemaker there, releasing her first vintage in 2015. And uh, she has said, I knew it would happen. I knew it would be me. I knew I was the only one when I started. Yes, I thought about that at the beginning before I started the program because she had learned all of this at this program, UC Davis winemaking class, which sounds really fun. Like, you learn how to make wine. Yeah. Um, And she says it feels fantastic right now. Um, She supervises winemaking at this facility called the Caves at Soda Canyon. And... Uh, she is also the exclusive red wine maker for Lobo Wines. And so, you know, if you're in Napa Valley, maybe go Google her, check her out. You know, don't scare her and stalk her, but maybe there's a way to find her if you want to celebrate her and have a toast. Yeah, and it reminds me of a show that's on the own network, you know, Oprah's network mm-hmm. called The Kings of Napa. And it's about a black family who owns their own um, you know, Napa Valley Vineyard oh, that's situation. Cool. It's like, yeah, check it out. It's pretty good. All right. Well, we wanted to give a shout out to Victoria Coleman. You get our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes. Yes, Queen. And our Yaz Queens continue this week because it's Lesbian Visibility Week. We are celebrating all week long and, of course, every day, usually, here on Channel Q. Um, If you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. We are sending you love and light. And honey, you better remember to slay and have a beautiful day. Yeah, stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris for all your love advice and romantic needs. That's next. All right, bye. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Welcome back to the show and stick around for more music here on Channel Q. That's what we've got for you 24-7. Right now, let's get into some more show. Elon Musk's plans for Twitter now that he owns the social media platform. We've got you covered and whether everyone's going to jump ship. That's in 30 minutes. <laughs> and also, we've got some tea in a moment. Yes, it's about Leah Michelle showing her vagina to oh. a queer actor. Okay. Jonathan Groff. Love it. He's he's a cute one. He is. Oh, yeah, he's delicious. He was the king in Hamilton, and he's he was also in... Oh, yes. Um, uh, oh, my God. He was in a, a Looking on HBO. Nice. Why is it whenever someone, like, sings... I just they're so much hotter. Well, I mean, depending. Yeah, I mean, an accent true. and singing. Yeah, that does that, it. Yeah, yeah. Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though. Right now, a Texas judge said that Disney World would be welcome if they choose to leave their Florida home after Governor Ron DeSantis stripped them of their land and tax privileges. In a letter to Disney CEO Bob Chapek, Judge 
KP George said the uh, corporation would be warmly accepted into Fort Bend County, southwest of Houston. He described Fort Bend as a welcoming and diverse place to do business, in contrast to the authoritarian anti authoritarian, sorry, anti-business and culture war attacks from DeSantis, which is also humorous considering where Texas is in terms of all this. It's not like Texas is innocent. Colorado's governor also has thrown the state into (laughs) the ring. Not like Disney was asking for it, but, you know, uh, Florida has been home uh, for Disney since the 1960s, and it would take a lot to move that location. I mean, they have 25 hotels, four theme parks, two water parks across 43 square miles. That is slightly less than the land of area of San Francisco. That is like huge. That's wild. I never imagined that, which is crazy because it's like I've it's been a city. to Disney World and it's like walking that entire thing is pretty intense. Well, it's not just that. It's like everything they own. Well, yeah, it's like the it's the hotels. Yeah. It's the safari. Exactly. It's, it's the other, you know, amusement parks. It's Disney World. So I just can't see them leaving that easily. Someone's going to have to. No, but it would be pretty iconic if they packed their bags up and left. Right. Disney has the money if they want to do it. It's just finding out where's the place they can do it. A lot of people would lose their jobs, so I don't know. It's true. Yeah. Unless they pay for people to relocate. Um, I think they, they employ... And this is me just throwing out a number. If I think I've heard like 80,000 people or something. Yeah, which also 80,000 people control, like they get to vote against, you know, the Republican Party That's in what the, the person who we interviewed last week said. Yeah, so I don't know. Republicans are really shooting themselves in the shift foot. shift it. Um, I was looking it up. Employees, Disney World, Florida. Um, how many employees? Yeah, 80,000. Oh my God, I can't believe I remember this. It's 80,000. Wow, sometimes my brain works in amazing ways. Moving on to uh, New York. A New York judge just held former President Donald Trump in contempt for failing to comply with a subpoena related to State Attorney General Letitia James's investigation into the Trump organization. Trump has been ordered to turn over materials and will be fined 10,000 per day until he does. Ay, ay, ay. All right, that was What's Trending This Hour, What's Happening in Entertainment News, Ryan. Okay, so let's talk Leah Michelle, which honestly, I'm surprised she's even like doing interviews, but hmm. she's been uh, chit-chatting in um, this, I guess, in this new HBO documentary about Spring Awakening, you know, the Broadway show? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, Spring yes. Awakening. Well, her, um, Leah Michelle and Jonathan Groff, were, uh, they both co-starred in Broadway's sexually charged Spring Awakening musical 15 years ago. And uh, she just revealed to us that she showed the curious and then closeted actor her vagina. She said this, Jonathan and I became so close. We were so intertwined. At one point, I literally showed him my whole vagina. I can't confirm that. She said he was like, I've never seen a woman's vagina before. Oh. Would you show me? And I was like, sure. And I took a desk lamp and showed him. That's how close we were. We wow. are. What a revelation. Yeah, That's but she, like, did, she did want to make sure she noted. I've never seen Jonathan naked. I've never seen his penis. Um, that's debuting a couple of days before your birthday, May 3rd. Where again? In, oh, on HBO. Oh, so it's okay. Oh, and she also yeah, offered to carry his baby. She loves being pregnant, apparently. I love that. I don't know. That is, a, a, I, you know, very honest. And I appreciate that, but. I don't know. You know, a lot of people don't <laughs> like Leah, Leah Michelle. I know. And so the fact that she's coming out talking about this just feels like she probably shouldn't have. She's trying to be real. 
<laughs> yeah. I've never seen Spring Awakening. I would love I to see it. you're going to be like, I've never seen a vagina. Oh, no. I've, I've we well, we, I mean, we're like Leah, Michelle, and Jonathan Groff, too. <laughs> Let's you have put, not seen mine. I have most. I've taken your news. Oh, I, no, you saw the. Be, no, wait, let's be clear. <laughs> All right, let's not go into it. I had underwear on, so actually, no. This is getting weird. Okay, let's wrap up this segment. I think our program director and HR is going to step in and like, you too. Uh, that's why I kept it at. I, we're just like Jonathan and Michelle. But I was just processing for a moment that's and then I got team. confused. <laughs> that's your team report. You can check out any story I've covered on wearechannelq.com. Well, next up, the gay male couple who is suing the city of New York for IVF and their experience. So we're going to get into more of that and what happened next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 